BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to discuss the offense from that win over the Jaguars 23-7 on Sunday night. Uh, Good win. Obviously not the prettiest of games. A whole lot of ugly involved in it. Uh, But here to join me and talk about it anyway, despite its ugliness, is Frazier Tafar. Frazier, how are you doing? Doing good, Ken. Glad to be on the pod for offense this week. Uh, Like you said, just a regular routine Ravens win. It's not ugly, but it is us. Just uh, glad to get the W and continue to increase our hold on the AFC number one seed and getting some momentum going into Monday night going against San Fran. Looks a lot better in terms of the number one seed right now. And in terms of the DeVoa model, they're up to about a 67% chance to get that number one seed. Um, one thing coming out of that San Francisco game is they're, the Ravens, regardless of the outcome of that game, will still have their destiny in their own hands entering the last two weeks. Yep. And it starts with Miami after this game. I think uh, earlier in the stretch, we were thinking that we could lose against San Fran. I think that kind of does still hold, but that Miami game is definitely a must win. And hopefully by then we have it locked up. So Pittsburgh can be another quote unquote by week for the Mets. Right. And for that to happen, um, one of a couple of things has to happen. Either the, the uh, well, one of several things has to happen. But anyway, the, the easiest way for the Ravens to have it locked up in, in time for Pittsburgh is to win both of these games. It is otherwise also possible, um, but but much more unlikely that they would be able to have it locked up uh, entering week 18. So uh, a couple different ways to uh, 
to get home from here. We don't need to go over those. If you want a, want a list of those, go back to the first episode of the defense pod. I kind of went over all those on that, and uh, uh, that's an opportunity to get that done. So as much of this was a win and a, and a good defensive effort, uh, a reasonably good offensive effort, you know, they certainly ran all over the Jaguars for 251 yards. The loss of Keaton Mitchell, uh, among other injuries in this game, and there are about four that we need to talk about, just stands out to me as one that could really hurt the Ravens' Super Bowl chances. Yeah, and it was really, really depressing to see him go down, especially on the run he did go down. It looked like he could have broke it if he didn't have that freak accident happen. I mean, it was just, it's gut-wrenching to this offense. He was our speed element, and my mind immediately went to converting Duvin Devin Duvernay into that role because, I mean, Justice has speed and power, but just the quickness and the burst that Keaton has, you just can't replicate that. Well, I'd be, I'd be nice. And I, unfortunately, you know, Devin's on IR now. He could, yeah. he could be back for the playoffs. I guess I, I actually kind of think he's played his last game as a Raven, but we'll see. Maybe, maybe he could be back. And um, I've been lobbying for a long time for Devin to be used in the backfield. And they did have, a, I think about two snaps. They ever used him in the backfield during his uh, career with the Ravens. And uh, anyway, Something, uh, something they certainly could do. Uh, rescheming of the offense is going to be necessary without Mitchell. I mean, it's it, he's a huge part of extended plays, a huge part of their their outside game in terms of of getting to the edge. Uh, he, he created more space himself for Jackson. Of course, Jackson benefits everybody as well, but he really helped Jackson create space in the middle of the field. Yep, and his patience was very evident in this game. I mean. I had issues with him running himself out of plays earlier in his uh, debuts, but this week it looked like he was ready to start, get going, going down the stretch because the vision was there, his pop was burst was there, but it's just really tough to see him go down. Really nice reversal on that one play. I, yeah. I always love to see running backs who are willing to take a chance, reverse their field, and and make a big play out of usually nothing, and that mm-hmm. was definitely one of those. And it's great to see that he feels like he has the trust of the coaching staff to do that because I don't think uh, Justice Hill would have the means to really want to do that because he doesn't have that kind of trust, I guess, with the coaching staff. He's more so just trying to get the play right and do his job. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting kind of a note on this. Statistically, Keaton Mitchell ends the season now with 8.43 yards per carry. It is the second highest total in NFL history by any running back in a single season of 40-plus carries. Uh, remarkably, the one guy he, he trails at this point is Devin Achan. Achan, uh, Achan, I always I, I hear it pronounced different ways right now. Achan is the way I think I can remember it. I'm going to stick with that for right now. But <laughs> De- De- Devin Achan at, at 8.51 yards per carry um, is – Still in progress for the Dolphins, almost certainly will drop below 8.43 for the year. I mean, you have to, you know, he'd have to basically rush for eight and a half yards the rest of the year to, to yeah. not drop. So, uh, this is going to be a historic season for Keaton Mitchell. Yeah, it's great to see that we found him uh, as an undrafted rookie. I think we kind of had intel with his father and uh, franchise ties, but unfortunate to see him go down at such an effective pace. All right. Uh, the other thing that's been going around a lot is the Lamar MVP talk. And I don't know about you. 
I don't, I don't honestly really care uh, about the MVP, not in the same way a lot of other fans seem to. Um, but I think that one of the interesting things about Lamar is the people who really dislike Lamar seem to want to make it be about stats, you know, about in terms of, but he didn't have 4,000 passing yards, but he didn't have 25 touchdowns, but he didn't have, you know, X or Y or Z kind of thing. Yep. Um, but they always want to make it about stats. And the truth of the matter is the reason Lamar is the Ravens MVP and perhaps the league's MVP is how much better he makes everybody else. Yep. And the, his quote unquote running mate for MVP is Brock Purdy and the supporting cast he has around him is pretty much the reason why he's MVP. If he doesn't have those players, I don't think he shows up as what he has on the stat sheet. Lamar, like you said, makes everything go around him. He is the glue to the offense. He's the glue to the whole franchise and organization. I think um, the main thing that people have an issue with Lamar and the MVP talk is that you have to combine his rushing yards and his passing yards. I think they really just want to look strictly on rushing statistics. I mean, uh, passing statistics Mm -hmm. and Lamar isn't, I mean, he's up to par in some senses, but he has to have the pass to touchdown ratio that Brock Purdy has or Dak Prescott has. So, but if you incorporate the rushing yards and the touchdowns, he's right there, neck and neck with them. And even that, even if you if you're trying to make it about yards, you're still going to miss it with Lamar Jackson because you know any kind of grading system really doesn't fully grade who he is. The PFF people I've talked to a number of times about exactly this topic, and they they basically openly admit at this point that they can't um, devise the method that will um, grade Lamar properly. And one of the things they've done a lot of really, by the way, um, very forward thinking research there about false steps from linebackers using data that they get from the from the uh, uh, NFL. And it's uh, lots of really interesting work had been done on that. But it's it's would be such a task to try and figure out exactly how Lamar is manipulating linebackers, manipulating um, uh, other defenders with the mesh point. I, I just It's a huge task, and they haven't figured out how to include it in their grading at this point. Yeah, it might be have to do like a sample with a generic regular quarterback like a Trevor Simeon or, mm-hmm. you know, some regular pocket QB and then incorporate Lamar's, I guess, reaction to how he does things and then they can devise it by there. But like you said, it's impossible. Yeah. They, they would, they would never study just Lamar's. They would be, they would be looking at other quarterbacks. I don't want to, I don't want to act like uh, uh, they'd be uh, not, uh, not performing their proper due diligence on this, but they, they did the, the, the Lamar data that they had was showing some, some interesting false step information they had. It just, it's just in its infancy is what, you know, is, is where they are right now. Um, you know, we saw, I think Lamar take a number of big hits in this game, many more than I would have liked. I wish the offense did not have to revolve around him, but does it seem like to you at this point that it'll be more Lamar and not less the rest of the way, given the absence of Mitchell? It's possible. I think that's again, up to the pass pro. Um, I just, if Lamar can have success throwing the ball, I think there's no reason for him to run. Because at that point, if he can open up the running game by passing, then we shouldn't have an issue. But if we can't get him a good amount of time, I mean, ample amount of time and space in the pocket, then I don't think it's going to be effective for us to run him. Because, again, like you said, he was susceptible to a lot of hits because he did have the attempts this game. 
due to not really having anyone to throw to. Because most of the time the pass protection was good, but it just seemed like the coverage downfield was causing him to hold the ball a little bit and make do and find a way to get yards. Right, so he had 12 attempts in this game, and it was 5 for 37, I think, were his, maybe it was 5 for 35, either way, um, uh, that were uh, uh, scrambles. Mm. And the rest was 7 for 60-something were designed runs. And they included the 20-yard run late. It was, you know, coming out of the mesh point and making a run play out of it. So they they did use him kind of a lot, and it was bothering me that he took some hard second hits on some of those tackles, not just the first hit. That, that I understand, and mm-hmm. Lamar is usually very adept at going to the ground well on those first hits, um, but, he, but he took a couple second hits that I really would prefer he hadn't taken in this game. One thing I did like to see is that they put Kohler in for the tush push because I was wondering if they would ever put Lamar in that yeah. situation. I mean, he isn't really the biggest guy, nor is Jalen Hurts, but I would rather see Kohler go in that in that role if it's not Mark Andrews, of course. Yeah, I agree. I think that that was a good choice, and uh, and uh, Kohler would be fine even when Mark Andrews comes back. I don't. We don't need Mark Andrews getting a concussion in the middle yep. of that mess. Hundred percent. So, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, we obviously. Yeah, the, the the it was almost prophetic what they had in terms of the um, uh, the little graphic on Lamar and the it was, he was the golden ticket where yeah. every other team in the AFC North had been through multiple quarterbacks this year. I think it's just got to be a one of the primary objectives of the Ravens the rest of the regular season is to keep Lamar healthy. Yep. Um, just uh, you know, get them out of games when they can. They they may have an opportunity against San Francisco to do that, uh, whether ahead or behind. Um, they certainly could have an opportunity in in any of the remaining games, particularly that Week 18 game against the Steelers. Um, I, I, you know, I, the 49ers game probably worries me even more because these are two teams that know damn well that they might face each other in the Super Bowl. Yep. So you know, the there might be a payoff to knocking out the other team's quarterback. And unfortunately the Ravens are the team that I think would be in worse shape if that were to occur. Yeah. And I think like you mentioned earlier, not really exposing Lamar to those big hits, especially on the design runs. I think that's going to be crucial. I think making the pass game emphasis on the last half of the weeks in the season is going to be crucial because if we can get, a, Lamar clean coming out of games, but it's not like he hasn't gotten injured in the pocket in the past couple of years, so that's not really the best scenario. But all things equal, I'm sure that if we continue to pursue the pass game and just continue to use our backs, Gus, JK, I mean, uh, Gus Hill, and now Melvin Gordon getting elevated, that's going to be the key to success until we get to the playoffs then we can start unlocking his legs and using playoff Lamar, full-time Lamar. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I think that's, you know, they, they ought to take exceptional care. And probably the San Francisco game is the best game to, to do it. I mean, obviously they have a better chance to win the Pittsburgh game. as They'll be, I don't know what kind of favorite, but probably a touchdown or more favorite against the Steelers, I would think, in the finale, whereas they're a five-and-a-half-point dog to the to – the, um, uh, 49ers right now yep. and they'll probably be a slight favorite against Miami not a huge favorite but three or four points I would think against Miami yeah I think uh I think us being an underdog role is honestly the best way for us I think 
that's exactly how we thrive. We like to be under pressure where people don't expect us to rise up to the occasion and then boom, we just pop on the scene. I think uh, this is, we always say we're our next challenge or a litmus test. We thought Detroit was going to be a litmus test. Seahawks was going to be a litmus test. You've notioned to this before. I think the Ravens are the litmus test and we need to start realizing that. And this Monday night on Christmas night, I think it's going to be, it's going to be evident who is the litmus test. And I think it's going to be Baltimore that comes out on top. Oh, well, well, let's, I, I hope you're right. Certainly. Um, another place where the Ravens have some serious injury news coming into this 49ers games at offensive tackle, uh, Stanley left with a concussion. He sat for 22 plays total in the game. So he'd, he'd already sat, I think one series before the injury, maybe even two. And McCary ended up with 22 of his snaps at left tackle on the right side. Morgan Moses has been one of the really, um, staunch offensive line pieces for the Ravens missed 33 snaps. So I don't know what's wrong with his arm right now, but it doesn't seem right. Mm. And uh, Falele came in and played for him. Uh, fortunately, it was a game where the Ravens were trying to wrap it up with the run. So neither of those guys had too difficult a um, assignment. And you can see by the end of that game, Jacksonville was really playing some brother-in-law football. Yeah. Uh, on that final drive, really trying to uh, you know not play overly physical and make it through to the next game. So uh, I, I'm very concerned. Uh, th- th- there is no one out there. If they need to go sign someone off the street, there just isn't anyone out there. So I, I think the Ravens will have to hope that at least one of Moses or Fa'alele can go. I'm uh, sorry, Moses or um, Stanley can go. And it's a, it's uh, you know it'd be Ben Cleveland potentially at right tackle. Otherwise. I don't even I don't even know what they do at left tackle if McCarry went down. I guess Falele has to move over there, but it'd be it potentially be very ugly. They had Cleveland in that one play at left tackle. Did you see that? It was a six man line, I believe, on that play. So Cleveland's all six of his snaps were six man line. So it's a, it's a little bit different situation. It was a, probably a run play, I'm guessing, on that. Okay, um, yeah. but yeah, yeah. So I, it's a it's uh yeah he's. He's honestly looked pretty good when, in the very limited number of snaps he's played. I just I wish they'd find a way to get him a chance maybe in week 18 this year mm-hmm. to play a full game, maybe instead of John Simpson. Keep keep Simpson out a week. Just he, He's as prepared as he's going to be for the postseason. Um, you could do the same with Zeitler if you wanted to, particularly if the game means nothing, yep. um, and, and get him in there. But uh, I'd really Good love them too. to see them do more. Linderbaum as well, put in a Mustafer. We have a good sure. Yeah, it's no issue with that. Yeah. I think um, they might be load managing Morgan, potentially, I hope. Because uh, between him and Stanley, I would say he's probably, quote unquote, the most healthiest. Um, kind of just making sure that he's healthy for this big upcoming match and making sure that we're not continuing to injure the shoulder even more. Um, Stanley... Being in concussion protocol, we've talked about this before, it doesn't look too good to get cleared within the week. Um, we saw that with uh, C.J. Stroud in the mm-hmm. Houston. He didn't get cleared in a week. So uh, we're, we'll see how the week uh, goes, progresses for Ronnie Stanley. But it's just the DNs that we're going against this week, it's just not the best thing for them to have gone down in this game. Right. I, I saw Nick Bosa left the field. I haven't heard anything new about his injury uh, since the game. Anything? Me neither. I haven't heard anything. Yeah. All right. Um, 
you know, I, I don't know what there is out there as far as a fix at offensive tackle goes. I don't think there's a player who's getting released by their current team. I don't think the Ravens would go out and try and pick up an Andrew Whitworth, say, out of the broadcast booth and see if what he could still do at his age. Um, it, it, it'd probably be some player like Jason Peters once the right. – he's with the Seahawks now, right? Yeah, that were would be eliminated. So it'd probably be somebody like that who wouldn't be very good <laughs> and uh, wouldn't have a lot left. Or maybe you know, maybe DJ Fluker is out there somewhere sitting on a couch and thinking I could still play. But uh, I really, I, I think the Ravens are stuck with who they have right now at offensive tackle, and it's really going to mean they're going to have to figure out probably that left tackle situation next year. Yeah. I, I I was hoping that they'd be able to go longer with Ronnie, but it just does not appear like he's gonna be the same player yeah i thought uh which game was it he was getting bullied i think it was uh the chargers game i thought that was kind of just uh getting his feet wet back into the groove kind of thing but it's been two weeks granted he went against aaron donald which is okay but this week it was really evident that he's not right at all all right. Um, let's see. Look ahead to the 49ers game. It's uh, Some people are labeling it the DeVoa Bowl. At least the DeVoa people are, Aaron Schatz. Uh, it is the third and 12th best DeVoa teams ever after 14 games, which is really amazing. Um, you, 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 you might get one of those in a season. You might not, but two of them are playing each other in, in week 15. It is, uh, is really remarkable. And the 49ers in, in over 40 years of – of um, generating DeVoa are the third best uh, team ever and the Ravens are the 12th best. So ex- really exciting game. I mean, a, a, a great potential game. It might not end up being a good football game at all, but <laughs> it's a, it's, a uh, uh, it's, it's certainly two very good football teams lining up against each other. Yeah. And Kyle Shanahan's offense kind of reminds me of Sean McVay's just a lot more seasoned, a lot more, understanding of the game in depth because he does have his father's heritage and piece of Gary Kubiak in there. It's a lot of different, it's a lot of different stuff that Kyle Shanahan puts in his offenses and it's not the same stuff every week. So it kind of makes it hard for you to game plan. And that leads to them being very, very efficient in the pass game and the run game. And I think it's, for Trey Lance not to succeed in his offense, that says a lot about him as a quarterback because Brock Purdy stepped in with the weapons he has and effortlessly doing numbers, MVP numbers. Yeah. It, it, it's a um, – these next two weeks I think are going to be a big Mike McDonald moment. Uh, <laughs> too. I think he's likely certainly to get interviews. He might get a job. Um uh, this year, or he might not. You know, other people may say there's something about him we don't like, or they they um, you know they think he's too young, and they maybe they believe he needs more seasoning, whatever. I think there's a team out there probably who will want him. It's not a sure thing, but if he were to go in and and scheme up a defensive win effectively in each of these next two weeks, or probably actually in either of these yeah. next two weeks. He's going to be really sought after. But if he if, if if his defense literally over the next two weeks puts the Ravens in the playoffs with no effort necessary against Pittsburgh with the number one seed, I would think, you know, the Ravens probably are going to be asked if they will let him interview while this while the playoff while they're still alive in the playoff hunt. And 
I don't know what their response will be, but I think they'll they'll get that request. Yeah, and what going against LA obviously instant reaction quarterback a Monday quarterback everyone wants to think that maybe Mike McDonald is not the guy we thought he was but if he can put out performances coming up like he did against Jacksonville granted they did get saved by a bunch of turnovers by Lawrence but if they can force those things to happen against Purdy which if you pressure Purdy just like any quarterback He's going to make bad decisions and he's not going to get to his reads the way he does against regular teams who don't have the same players and scheme that the Ravens have. Yeah, the, the, the 49ers do not have a fantastic offensive line. Um, Trent Williams, is Trent Williams still hurt at this point or is he back now? He's back. I think he was. Yeah, yeah he's back. They, they have a center and a guard who are not spectacular by any stretch of the means. In fact, both are pretty poor pass blockers. I would think McDonald goes right after that A-gap. And, yep. uh, you know, we, we, we see some effort made to, uh, uh, to get predator, pressure directly in Purdy's face. So see some of those stunts we've seen. I'm sure the ball will be out quickly. The 49ers are going to be very concerned about getting Purdy hurt. That probably, again, plays into the Ravens' hand. To me, the, the the big thing I want to see defensively out of them for this game is that they get Kyle Hamilton back to um, slot corner where I think he can do the Ravens a lot more good. And that means either Marcus Williams has to be able to come back, which he might or might not be able to do, or you have to be willing to take a chance and go with uh, Chris Worley on the back end. Daryl Worley. Uh, yeah. Daryl Worley. I'm sorry, Daryl Worley. Who's Chris Worley? Uh, he was a defensive tackle. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Wormley. Wormley. Yeah. Wormley, right. Yeah. yeah. All right. So <laughs> I, this happens a lot at my age, and then I have to try and unwind it and try and figure out what, uh, you know, what this came from. But anyway, uh, well, Daryl has played good to safety and he's been a good tackler. I think that's primarily they need a, a focused assignment guy, understands what his responsibilities are in the right position, makes tackles when he needs to. Um, and in some ways, that might even be better than Williams with the kind of offense that the 49ers run because they're more like the Browns in terms of being a very heavy offense with um, heavy, hard-running skill position players like Debo and Juszczyk. Um, uh, McCaffrey, uh, McCaffrey also falls into that group. Um, and uh, who am I not thinking of? Kittle, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of guys who can lean on you after the catch. Um, it's it's a big day of tackling for the safeties in this game. Uh, Stone is, that has not been his strong suit. Williams, it really hasn't been his strong suit since he came back from injury, though he hasn't been as bad um, uh, doing it recently. He made the big play in this last game, but yep. I think the Ravens would do very well to have a uh, you know to have a good tackler on the back end, and they could do that with Hamilton, which they might. Or they could get Hamilton up where he can do the team even more good up closer to the line of scrimmage, and I I really hope that that's what they end up choosing. Yeah, and I think that's going to be crucial in stopping Christian McCaffrey, too, because call him there's a big wide frame and it's really hard to get around him. And back to your point about the blocking, if they're not really good at that point, at the point of attack, we have Pierce and Matabike, who are units up front who can get penetration and just make it easier for the linebackers and the, and Kyle Hamilton to scrape and find the holes that they can get the get the running back. All right, let's move on. Talk a little bit about the game uh, this last week against the Jags. They outsnapped them sixty-nine to sixty-one. They that that was despite being on the hat on the field defensively for much of that first half. So they they went up ten nothing. Of course, we know it was a lot of a couple of missed field goals, the huge fumble by Lawrence, um, some drops 
were included in that. Um, false starts uh, helped the Ravens end some drives there. But um, the thing I was really impressed about was the way they closed the game out, that they went into the second half. They did allow the 65-yard touchdown to Agnew. It was a single play. And honestly, it's really the only thing that went wrong for them defensively in a big way in this game. You could say the 36-yard play, which put it at the five-yard line, was. Yeah. That's fair. But I think uh, you can even say the no-call touchdown, maybe. To yeah. Calvin. That one was maybe an issue, too. But other than that, the defense was – they were playing good. They got off the field when they did. I know that John Harbaugh said maybe a little faster would have been good. But still, they did their job, and they held them to seven on that one mistake. Which was, I think, in the future, Stevens and Mallette have to switch that off. They can't, they can't just chase their man because that obviously puts someone in the trail position and you're going to get exposed in that situation. Well, somebody had communicated pre-snap. There's, there is a pre-snap communication there, and I think it's probably Mallette's mistake. Mm. Um, so I think he was, he was supposed to. And, you know, honestly... Agnew's a fast guy. He's a dangerous guy. Yep. Um, you know, uh, you, you're going to hope you get your safety over on a play like that, but it's also a wheel route. So it's not usually the route that, it, that you throw the safety onto. Just, mm-hmm. just That's not the typical response for NFL teams. So you typically have to drag that route with the underneath guy, and he just has to do the best he can as far as denying the catch radius effectively of Agnew. Agnew's not right. the biggest guy in the world. And uh, you know that could have that could have worked out for for Molet. It was a, you know got decent size, uh, but it didn't in this particular case. He he let him get way behind him. It was a, about as easy a pitch and catch throw as you can make, and that it was about as easy a a, a uh, uh, out juking of Stone as he could get on the play. I, Agnew as a return man reads leverage very well. You can tell yep. that, and you know he waited for um, uh, uh, Stone to get on the wrong foot and. It was it was good night. <laughs> yeah, Agnew's very very explosive. Uh, I'm very happy about the Ravens holding the Jaguars to 0 for three in the red zone in this game. So again, we're talking about the defense here briefly, but um, that was really nice. They're 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 now tied for second in the NFL with just a 37.5 percent red zone touchdown percentage. Uh, very important. And on the other side of it, they went two for five themselves. Not good. Uh, they did score 23 points on those five possessions in the red zone. So it did, it's not like they had any turnovers. They, they collected the field goals and they didn't collect touchdowns. Um, but they're now 60.7% in terms of a touchdown rate, which has dropped significantly. After about five weeks, I think they were at 80%. might have been four yeah. weeks. They were 12 of 15, and now they're down to 60.7%. The median in the NFL is 53.8. So 607 is good compared to that. And it's a hella good compared to the 44.4% they were last year. Yep. And the trend does seem like we're getting closer to the average, which isn't too bad. But as soon as as we keep up that pace, just continuing to be above average, we can continue to score and put points on the board. And it's all about just being efficient in that red zone. Everything gets so compact and condensed. I think um, out, out coaching yourself, in those situations, especially inside the five, I think if Simpson didn't get that uh, penalty, penalty. Yep. yeah, very stupid penalty, we would have just gave it to Gus, 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 Gus. And I think that's the that has to be the mindset going in in those short yardage positions. We can't get too cute. Mm-hmm. That was that was 
That was not about cute. That was about stupid. And it's something where Simpson is probably going to lose some significant yep. future salary dollars to this um, because he's he just he made a stupid mistake. It's completely in line with everything it does. And if I'm another GM in this league and I haven't watched every single snap that Simpson has played this year, I probably am thinking um, this trend continues. He was at one penalty every 98 snaps before he came to Baltimore and now Baltimore gets him the best offensive line coaching in the entire league. And he's at one every 104 snaps. So it's not like anything has really improved by that much. And, you know, it, it's, he's, he's been a, a, a reasonably good blocker this season. I think, I think he's, he's met probably slightly exceeded the Ravens expectations on that side, but the yep. nine penalties are, are second in the league among all guards. And that's just, that's not acceptable. Yeah. And I think, um, that penalty was just really frustrating to see. I mean, you can see the defender egg him on, but you have to be better than that. I mean, Lamar, I know Lamar is preaching it every single day that we're trying to get to a championship and you just have to instill that mindset into what you do. And it's troublesome to see that he would stoop that low in that kind of situation. Yeah, Roquan wouldn't have any of that on the defense. If somebody did that on the defense, he'd have, he'd have been all over them in terms of the accountability for it. I'm not sure about Lamar, whether he's really an accountability guy or more of a leader by example and request and seeing what we're going to do kind of thing. I, 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 I get the sense Roquan is more of a disciplinarian for the defensive unit, just judging by his personality and an accountability guy than um, Lamar is. So it just, just, just how I am observing it from a distance. Yeah. I, there are some snippets I hear that, especially Humphrey, he has been a little more open about how Lamar has been. And um, on his uh, victory IG live um, him and or Lamar and likely were giving Humphrey a little slack saying he earned his game check this week a little bit because uh, he's been lacking this year, but mm-hmm. he did have a good performance this this week against the Jags. So it was funny to see that kind of situation happen within the locker room, especially one of the top guys in the league at at the, his position at Humphrey. And you have two guys kind of, you know, clowning him for his performance and, you know, coming out of his pockets a little bit. So it was interesting to kind of hear that dynamic. Terrific game from Humphrey. I'd agree. He was one of my uh, three MVP candidates in this in this last game. Uh, I, I do want to hear from people. If you're out there, you're just listening to the show and you care to share on Twitter, how do you react to seeing that play from Simpson where he headbutts somebody in the end zone like that and you're at the one-yard line? I just, I, I, I'll i tell you, for me, I fly out of my chair. I was really upset about it in terms of uh, of what had happened. I, I'm just interested to hear what people do. Do they throw something? Is profanity involved? What you know, what what happens? What's your actual routine you go through when you see a play that stupid? What's your go to? Yeah, your go to your go-to move. Uh let's talk a little bit about series success rate. The Ravens were 25 of 32 in this game, 78%. Um that's a that's a nice figure. That would be a, a league leading figure in a typical season. Um, they ha- they've been about 72.5%, I think it is, for the season after this game. Mm-hmm. Um, and Miami, Kansas City, San Francisco are the best teams in the league. They're up at around 75 to 77% right now. So um, the 2019 Ravens, I believe, are safe in terms of their uh, <laughs> 80% success rate, I believe, in those situations, which was which was truly remarkable. But uh, but anyway, uh, interesting uh, uh, that the Ravens you know, had a really good game this week, at least in that in that regard. 
Yeah, it was really good to see them uh, churn out first downs. They had a lot of first downs. How many was it? About 20? 25. 25, yeah. yeah. So it was good to see that kind of efficiency. Um, maybe a little more points on the board, but continuing to see us move the ball and not really have too many negative plays, if not self-inflicted. Yeah, they, uh, this next thing we're going to get into is the is the run pass differential and the game script really called fairly early for the Ravens to be playing win probability football and not expected points football so this is what happens in the second half of many NFL games certainly ones that are you know a two touchdown lead for one team that team is trying to get the game over with the trailing team is is trading turnover risk for yards, uh, trading the risk of turning the ball over on downs for the possibility of yards and first downs. And you know the Ravens were in a in a game script where their their goal was to run the ball, to grind out first downs, not necessarily to get to 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 have the highest probability to grind out a big drive. They did have some of that explosiveness in terms of their plays that they ran with Keaton Mitchell in the third and early fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, but they, you know, they rolled up most of their rushing yards in that second half, and uh, forty-two runs, twenty-seven passes for the game. It, it, the twenty-three points, I don't have a problem with it at all. With this game, game script, you win twenty-three to seven. You're, you're in the second half. You're hunkering down. Yep. You're advancing the football. Hey guys, I want to tell you about the Ufi Video Lock because when I'm not podcasting, I am. My day job is a smart home specialist, and the Ufi Video Smart Lock is perfect this is what you guys need to go get it replaces the deadbolt on your door so now you can come home without fumbling with keys you can just type in a code or even better use your fingerprint to unlock after one second you put your finger there pops out my door's open it's perfect it also is an integrated video doorbell we've all seen the video doorbells we all know the ones that are out there i've seen many of them get stolen no one's going to steal this because it's your door lock. It's impossible for them to steal. There's no monthly fee. Other ones do. But this one, it'll record locally, so you never have to pay if you don't want to. The battery, it lasts up to four months. Plus, it notifies you ahead of time. And I mentioned earlier one-second fingerprint recognition. No, I meant one second till it opens. The AI self-learning chip will learn your fingerprint even faster, and then it opens up. Completely keyless entry, no more keys. And I know I set this up as I'm a smart home specialist, but anyone can install this. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver. That's it, and then you're done. Guys, I love this product. Make sure you check it out. Now, here's the easiest thing to do. Just go on to Google or whatever you prefer and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E U F. Y video lock or visit ufiofficial.com forward slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door just like me, just like Ken. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design, the kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, you're trying to get that game over with. And the Ravens did a great job of doing that. And I thought that's one of the things we really can take from this game is just how effectively the Ravens closed out this game in the fourth quarter. Yep. Uh, they, they leaned on Jacksonville. And I think the... The really back-breaking run to me was the uh, the Keaton Mitchell reverse. I think that mm-hmm. one was just – it looked like they did everything right on that play, and then he hits them with that reverse. And the what was it? One play later, Lamar hits them with his MVP candidate highlight reel to likely. So it's just – it's hard for a defense to come back from those kind of series of plays – especially they're going around chasing Lamar and on the next series, I mean, uh, on the next drive, uh, Mitchell has another great run, but ends up getting hurt. And Lamar finished it off with a good QB keep on the read. And it was just, it was just surgical at that point. They were just, it looked like 2019 Ravens. Yeah. They, they, the last run, the uh, Jags completely sold out to Lamar, not keeping the ball. Mm -hmm. They, They basically are saying, you don't want to get your quarterback injured. At least I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating what I think they might have been thinking. And we have to stop this. And of course, they, they, it didn't matter that they gave up a 20 yard run at that point. A, you know, a three yard run or whatever they needed. It might have been one at the time to get the mm-hmm. first down um, was enough. So it didn't matter that they gave up 20. And of course, at that point, the Ravens aren't trying to score. After that, they're just trying to advance the football, and uh, and that's of course what they did. He looked like he could have scored the way it was angled on the TV. He looked like he had no one in front of him. I was like, I wonder if he's going to take this, but Lamar's not that selfish. He's smart. Better job of staying in bounds in general in this game. I thought that, that, you know, after uh, some of the stupidity that had occurred in the previous game that, you know, could have cost them the the game against the Rams, uh, it did cost them, you know, basically the, the chance to win it in regulation. Um, I thought I was, I was happy to, to see some of that done at a better level. Um, they made their only fourth down attempt. It came in their last offensive play. So it was fourth and three and Edwards polished it off. He had a, he had four, four runs for 11, 12 yards, whatever it was on that, on that, um, set of downs there, which is, that is a very tough thing to do. Very underrated in how difficult it is. And there's some personal yards in there. It wasn't all like giant holes that the Ravens were creating. He, you know, he got those three yards at a time, most of it by himself. That fourth and three was impressive. I mean, I was kind of nervous going into the play, even though we had the game in hand. I was like, wow, are they going to get this? But to get that first down, that was huge by Edwards. Uh, what else we got in this that we want to talk about? Oh, yeah. I mean, one, one of the things about closing out the game that I didn't mention was the Ravens had six rushing first downs, six rushing first downs in the fourth quarter. Wow. They also had one other play where they had a rushing first down and they negated it themselves by accepting that defensive 12 men on the field penalty, mm-hmm. which gave them five yards instead of two or whatever it was. So they took the extra yardage, but it would have been seven first downs rushing. So absolutely. I mean, that does not happen in the NFL. First of all, seven rushing first downs in an entire game is, is probably higher than average now in the NFL, but to get seven in the fourth quarter when, you know, the other team knows the run is coming and you just, they can't do a damn thing about you. 
and you're uh, moving the chains like that. That was a very impressive closeout. And that's the kind of brand of football we love to see. We love to see our team just go at, at people and tell them, we're going to do this and you're not going to stop it. And yep. that's exactly the kind of brand of football that we need to continue to build here. The 2019 Ravens really all over again on that in that fourth quarter, which was which was really nice to see. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Lamar and uh, and what he did in this game. Lamar, uh, the Jaguars rushed five plus on 13 different occasions. That's 48 percent of the time. That is a very high blitz rate. And it kind of goes to show you that while they had Josh Allen as as a rusher and, you know, Trayvon Walker is having a decent year on the other side. That's all. That's like 68 percent of their snaps or something between those two guys uh, coming into the game. I think it was, it was four and a half and 13 and a half or four and a half and 13. And they had 27 sacks going into the game. So it's really they do not have a, a particularly good pass rush uh, for Jacksonville that they that they present to you. And so they really have to blitz a lot to keep a guy like Lamar um, not comfortable in the pocket. Yeah. And I think. A lot of teams kind of are susceptible to that, but it was really evident with the Jags. Uh, but they did they did affect Lamar when they sent more than more than four, and I think that's going to continue to be the recipe. Other than when they drop three, and he can't throw the ball because there's no one getting open. And they aggressively spied him in this game, and the spies. When I say aggressively, I usually mean. The spy was triggered quickly, kind of as Lamar made a move to get out of the pocket. Aluakan and the other guy, number 33, the linebacker on the inside. Um, but Aluakan is the is the big tackler, but the, but they but but the, the, the other the other one is there as well. The other the other inside linebacker they have. And they triggered them on on a on a hair basis. As soon as Lamar started to leave the pocket, they were they were right after him. Um didn't didn't oh Chase uh, uh Chase on also was there. Oh. Uh, but but he was he, he's 45 he's not the guy I'm, I'm thinking of 33 is the other one who was who was in there anyway not to get too belabored with with who was doing the spying um i thought that that they did a good job of um after a couple of early occasions of not really giving lamar tons of time to run around he still did some of it because he's still lamar and and you know they couldn't quite get after him and sometimes they you know they made space for him in the middle of the field but i i I think of that as being a generally successful strategy against Jackson because it's what the Bengals and the Browns do. You know, teams that are very familiar with him have some speed at that inside line at backer position, particularly with JOK. Um, but also even with Logan Wilson, who has good instincts, maybe not the greatest speed. Um, he's not a player I want to see coming after um, Lamar either. Yeah, at all. And uh, going against uh la donald was the spy and it was impressive to see how he did it it was it was a mud rush mud rush and then as soon as lamar made his move even on the touchdown throw to zay you can see he was kind of just hovering around the line and then waiting for lamar to break through so we could just get right at him so it's kind of it's cool to see the way people are trying to make sure lamar doesn't break the game but they can't do it consistently play in and play out i know lamar did have one play where it was a great it was i think a second half drive five quarter three good qb design run um justice hill broke out right out of the backfield got the linebacker and lamar got right for the first down stuff like that is what i like to see 
A second and ten run uh, for twelve yards, or was it a, a different one that I'm I'm not looking at? Which play right, number of the drive? Right after the drop by OBJ on a great throw by Lamar. Okay, I think I think I'm looking at the right play because there's only one incomplete pass on that drive, so it'd have to be that second and ten play. Yep. All right, very good. So, um, uh, what else do I want to talk about? A little bit about the four man rush. The five man rush, five point seven yards per play, two sacks. The four man rush, fourteen times with that. 5.6 yards per play, one sack, one turnover. Not a lot to choose from is my only point there. They blitzed him. It didn't really have all that much effect on him relative to the, the four-man rush. They didn't use a three-man rush not even once in the game. They did use a six a couple times, three times in, in total in the game that I've uh, included in those five pluses. They got a sack on that six-man, right? Uh, did they? I'll take a quick look here. I'm trying to remember. I, I would not doubt it, not for a second here. Yeah, they got a sack minus three on the six-man rush. That was the one that went to Fa'olele. That was on the delayed blitz. I'm sorry, they got a second sack, uh, a sack minus eight on third and seven, that went a couple of different ways. Actually, uh, it was a it was a yeah, it was a delayed blitz by 33 with um, uh, Zeitler and Stanley each taking a portion of the charge too because they really phone booth that pocket. And then what was the third sack? Let me get to that third sack. I think it might have been drive five, quarter three. It's no, it's it's the second drive of the game, and that was split between Stanley and um, and Moses. It was more Moses's fault, but um, but Stanley allowed that phone booth to be pocketed, uh, pocket to be phone boothed. What you uh, what, what did you have for um, the last play on drive five, Q three, and it resulted in a punt. First drive after yeah. So that sack at sack minus eight was a uh, a free run, but through the right. Uh, gap. I'm sorry. By number two. By number mm-hmm. two. That's the guy with the interception earlier in the game. Yep. And and it, so they they um I, I charged half the sack to the fact that, that that they didn't have anyone to block him. But 79 was beaten outside by Allen, and uh, Kevin Zeitler was bowled by number 33. So uh, okay. those were the those were the shares that they each got a quarter of the sack in that case. I kind of saw that as Linderbaum potentially shift to the wrong side, giving support to Simpson when he should have been supporting Zeitler on that play. And then that, that would have been a very difficult exchange. Yeah. I, I, I don't disagree with you. They had enough players in theory to block it because Linderbaum was on a double team. It's yeah. just a very difficult pair of exchanges that they would have had to make to make yeah. that work. And even, even though Gus, it looks like Gus let the rusher go free on his side. They, he did handle the stunt coming his way perfectly. So it was like things went well, but it didn't go right on the play. So it was kind of unfortunate. Yeah. Um, uh, let's talk a little bit about ample time and space. Six of those six ample time and space opportunities, only 22% of the time. It's not a whole lot. 50 net yards, the 8.3 yards per play on that is just okay. It's not really good um, for ample time and space opportunities. Lamar's been better recently. Eight ball out quick opportunities. That was 30% of the total. You can see where I'm getting with this. Eight ball out quicks for 6.0 yards per play is a little above average. So, you know, he's pretty solid in, uh, in those two put together. Here's the problem. 27 dropbacks resulting in a pass or sack. And he got out if he had five scrambles, which which went perfectly well as well. But thir- 13 pressures resulting, sorry, 13 pressures out of 27 plays resulting in a pass or sack. That's 48%. It's just way too much. Jackson threw for 47 total net yards on that, 3.6 yards per play. 
probably slightly above average for that, certainly above average for Ravens opponents. Let's put it that way. But it's about a, a little above average for what I would expect. But it's just far too many pressures allowed by the Ravens offensive line. And I think this is the scenario we were scared going into the season that Lamar couldn't really flourish in the passing game due to not being able to protect them. And we've seen him, we've seen it in the past 2020 and 21, just as soon as he drops back, there's not really enough time for him to make the correct reads. He's getting frantic in the pocket. I just, it's the trend with Lamar in previous years was, in the beginning of this, in the beginning of the season, right after training camp, his footwork and everything, mechanics would be great, and then they would start to deteriorate at the end of the season due to offensive line turmoil and things of that nature. This year, it looks like he's continuing to keep his frame. I just don't want the issues going on right now to make him result back to those old habits he had in the past. Yep. 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 Um. What, what else do we want to talk about this? Um, Lamar, I thought, was on par in general with his opportunity set. This is just I try and summarize things in words because people, they want to listen to the APS, ATS stuff, and then they can't necessarily put the pieces together easily, and I don't, I don't think it's easy to do. But his is it was on par for his opportunity set, but he really led this game with what he did with his legs, um, mm-hmm. both in terms of, of the fear of Lamar Jackson leaving, um, what he's able to do on some of the passes – even though his his numbers were not exceptional, was still legs based, and then of course some of the runs he made, he led the Ravens with 97 yards, and he, um, you know, had both good scrambles and good designed runs. Uh, that was really what made Lamar Jackson uh, special in this game. Yep, and back to the MVP talk, I think this is again what kind of deteriorates him for being the top guy is he's making these Superman plays on his legs. It's just he's bailing out our offensive lineman from looking stupid. He's bailing out the receivers from not getting open. It's Lamar is just such a difference maker. We kind of take it for granted sometimes when he makes these ridiculous plays. I mean, I caught myself not showing any emotion on some of the runs because I was like, okay, like this is a first down. Let's get to the next play. It's kind (laughs) of, it's kind of not been good for me to get in that mindset because at any given point, it can be taken away. Knock on wood. Yeah, Mr. Take It For Granted there. The, the the time to throw on average for Lamar is just amazing this year. 3.80 is the highest single game in the NFL in 2023. The second highest was 3.58 by Hertz. I think it was last week, in fact, so it's, it's a recent game. Might have been two weeks ago. And then I, I forget whether it's two weeks ago or three weeks ago, Lamar had the second longest of the season <laughs> at 3.55. So um, he's been remarkable at – um, maintaining his his place in the pocket. He seems perfectly excited, even without Mark Andrews, yep. to continue to try and extend plays. Um, I wonder if the Ravens are going to get on him a little bit these last few weeks to try and reduce that, to try and get rid of the ball a little quicker based on what's going on at tackle, um, You know what he has um, to play for in terms of making sure he's healthy for the playoffs. And, uh, I, you know, I, I'm just – I'm not – I'm not convinced I want him to do it the rest of the time. But generally speaking, when you take more time in the pocket, you're you're taking a gamble on three categories versus one, I'll call it, uh, of what may happen. So if you you throw the ball out quickly, that's the um, I punt situation. And you usually take a little bit less in terms of yards per play 
by going with a ball out quick option. You don't get the ball down the field. You're not taking full advantage of the passing game, but you're also not getting sacked, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you have a much lower chance to give up a turnover, but not zero because you can still get intercepted on a ball out quick, particularly if that ball is tipped at the line of scrimmage or something. But but anyway, that's that's one half of the gamble. The other side of that is if you decide to run around the, the pocket like Lamar does, there's three possibilities. And and when possibly number one is um, you get a you get a pressure of some sort. It doesn't even have to be a sack. It could be a quarterback hit. You certainly don't want those way too many quarterback hits in this game. Yep. But but it's also that you just get pressured and you end up making a bad throw that's either incomplete or even worse might might result in a turnover or or, uh, or other problem for you. So so the, the the that's the that's possibility number one when you run around. Possibility number two is you make an extended play and those can be some of the biggest plays you get in a football game. They're back breaking. They typically are first downs. They often involve significant yak. You may have somebody far behind the defense. You have all the possibilities of, of that going on. So those two are two of the three. And the third one that we sometimes forget because we're so passing focused is that it's only when you hold the ball that you ever get a real opportunity to scramble for positive yards. So we've already kind of counted the sacks in this category, but we've mm. got to remember they're, they're, they're positive yards generated by scrambles from quarterbacks like Lamar or in this game for, for quarterbacks like Lawrence in terms of what he did down the stretch. Yep. And I think uh, continuing to make that kind of space is you don't want Lamar to stop his magic in the sense of contain him and tell him not to do certain things. Cause you're just, you're not going to get the full experience. I'm not saying that we're trying to get a video game. We're trying to win the game, but yeah, the, the Michael Vick experience. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's the way he maneuvers. I think the biggest issue is holding on to the ball and not fumbling. I think, in previous years, especially since 2019, whenever he does scramble like that, going back and forth in the pocket, most of the time it just ends in a scramble. This game, he's shown the progression that he's continuing to show that he's has his eyes up looking at the rush while looking at the receivers downfield. He hit Bateman on one that was crucial. He hit, um, oh my gosh. Might have been Bateman a second time, actually. Yeah. There's Bateman's one by the sideline, one in the middle of the field. Yeah. The, the one I was thinking of one was the one in the middle of the field that was really good. And then um, – Likely. Likely as well in the first quarter. So those were those are really good plays. Um, the one that Beckham wasn't completed, that wasn't really too improvised, but he made space for himself in the play to get the ball there. So it was nice to see that from Lamar. Took care of a couple balls. I thought one one load of Bateman, another load of Beckham. Both of them could have been caught, and, and neither of them was. I wouldn't call either of them really a drop. They're kind of difficult go down to get the ball throws, but they're also safe throws. Yeah. So uh, you know, I had a much lower chance for anything to go truly wrong, and uh, and I like that about it. But uh, like the Lamar, one, like the one in the uh, in the end zone towards the end of the game that one yes i was thinking and when he threw it i was like wow that could be picked at the angle i look, i saw it at but i couldn't give bateman grief for dropping it either because i was like you said that was a tough throw tough catch yeah yeah um you know one thing that we've got to give the jags credit for in this game is they did not present the ravens with coverage breakdowns the way the rams did 
Mm-hmm. So the Rams gave, you know, gave the Ravens three coverage breakdowns on that left sideline. They didn't, they didn't know their assignments or they got beat by double moves because the field was wet. It's got, you know, multiple conditions on here, but the Jaguars, even on this, you know, this fairly windy day and whatnot, and, and, you know, things, things can go wrong for the defense when plays are extended. I mean, oh. it should, it's just, you know, things can go wrong, but they did not really present Lamar with a bunch of coverage breakdowns. It just, he had a hard work in receivers, which continue to try and make space for him. And generally speaking, um, you know, more good things happened than bad things on those plays, which was nice. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's one of the things I'd ask about Monken going forward. Is he really doing enough to have complex receiving patterns that, encourage breakdowns like we saw that very complex thing that the Bengals tried to um, run against the Ravens and I think week two would end up being an interception by Geno Stone but the whole play was designed based on the fact that Joe Burrow has kind of a weak arm and they needed to take the safety off that spot well remember last week the Nelson Aguilar, you know, uh, uh, mm-hmm. strip out of the safety is the perfect example of that sort of play this yep. week I don't. I don't really see a play where they forced the Jags out of position. There may have been one or two. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not. I I, I didn't study the all twenty two in that way to try and find where do the coverage breakdowns really occur on every one of these plays. But it just it. I wonder, is there more Monken could do in that regard to encourage opposition coverage breakdowns as opposed to just having five receivers each with a you know assigned space on the field and doing a good job of spacing themselves. Um, but I'll try to get open. Yeah, and I think that might go back to one of the points I made on the matchup shows, kind of Munkin maybe holding some things back for the juggernaut game against San Fran in prime time, even though this is prime time and this is a must-win game and an AFC game. I think um, when they might have game plan, they probably saw that they can lean on this team in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter, and they wanted to – they were pretty much pass-centric, in the first two quarters, uh, near the end, they ran a little more. But in the first two and a half, they were really pushing the ball downfield, or at least they tried. And I think they didn't really bring out, like you said, any any over-advanced concepts that can get defenses confused. And I also think the Jags were really playing a lot of man so it kind of makes it hard for defenses to get confused in that situation because, I mean, you have to lock up who's in front of you. But still, I think that when I did see some of the film, Zay did get open a couple times just off his pure speed, mm-hmm. but Lamar just didn't have the time. He was getting pressured. So it's unfortunate that we can't connect on some of the deep balls that we're looking for, but it, it all starts at the offensive line in those situations and making sure we can get the ball downfield. All right. All right. Got a few other scheme elements we want to hit on. Then we'll, we'll take our break and we'll come back for the second part of the show. But um, the change in the running back snap division almost seems unfair to talk about it now with the loss of Mitchell, but Hill 18 snaps, Mitchell 25, Edwards 28. One of the things we saw again was Hill really dominating the passing downs. It's not a surprise, but he had a really good game pass blocking this guy. He, he the, the because the uh, Jags were blitzing so consistently, Hill often had a pickup responsibility on the downs that he was in. So you know, it, 
blitz has come if you see that um uh they may come delayed but but the um generally speaking the running back often can't leave the backfield without picking somebody up uh, he can only leave it's almost like the the opposite of a green dog where um you know he, he the linebacker sees a, a um a running back staying into block he can then blitz in this case the, if if the um, running back sees that a linebacker is staying back, he can leak out and in, into the pattern and and do his thing. He can also chip and whatnot. But it, big game, uh, five set blocks and one chip block for Hill. I thought he was outstanding uh, doing his block. Ricard had the same five and one division. They really bore the brunt of the Ravens um, set and chip blocking. They had 13 and six total in the game. Still 0. 0.70 per play, which is kind of high in terms of eligible receivers contributed to protect the, the pass rush. But they had a number over one for the Cleveland Browns when the Cleveland was mainly rushing four, and they have 0. .70 when the Jaguars are mostly or are very frequently rushing five in this game. So that that tells you a little bit about about how much they felt they needed to protect their tackles in this game. Yeah, the uh, two plays really come up uh, for Justin Sills' pass pro. I think he had one pickup where he was left side of Lamar and he went all the way to the right to grab the. I think it was the defensive end, maybe, or the cornerback. I think it was in the first half. Could have yeah, yeah, had, had an R forty three on an incomplete. It was a set block on the on the fourth drive. It was on a first and ten play after they just converted third and six. So play went incomplete, but I, I agree. I think that was a good block by Hill. And then on one of the sacks, I think Hill ended up picking the wrong hole, ended up going in the A gap when he should have stayed home. And been on Lamar's C gap. Might have been the one for minus two or three. Okay. I don't have I don't show him with a block on that play. I had Ricard in there on that play only as a set blocker, but that's okay. Hey, um yeah. Hill Hill had a very finely graded game by PFF. Mm -hmm. Uh the one you mentioned first was a he created effectively an ample time and space opportunity by picking up the rusher on the right side. That's yep. very hard, by the way. Much easier for a running back to pick up a body when he can attack into the middle of that hole and he has the pillars to either side of him, these these melees going on that 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 the, the that pass rusher doesn't generally want to get part of. He doesn't want to get hooked up in that he doesn't want to you know, oftentimes mess up his own teammates in terms of their pass rushing but it's a big advantage to the running back when, when they can limit space like that when he's out on an island like that it's like it's just like a left tackle or right tackle being out on an island having to pass block against a single effective uh rusher and um as much as they practice that and they it's one of the really big things they do in camp is to have the running backs versus versus linebacker mm -hmm. uh pass rush drill uh, as much as they do that, they they really um, running backs are always significantly disadvantaged in those matchups. Yep, and I think uh, one thing I do want to see from the Ravens' pass pro scheme is, I know Cincinnati does it. They bring their they bring their running backs up right in front of either the, each side of the either side yes. of the guard butt sniffer. Yep, let's go. Yep, and just it, it makes it better for them to kind of spread out the offensive line and protection that way. I think that's another way we can adjust and improve our scheme in that sense. Yeah. They use Ricard sometimes in that position, which I think has been good. They, it, it was not a function of the, of the Roman offense particularly much because Roman liked to have uh, a tight end in motion. And right. they used a lot of the high percentage of their, of their motion on the tight ends. I, I, I know there are some football fans out there who maybe don't realize this. 
but you only get to have one man on motion on any on any event of play. You can't you can't have multiple players in motion. That's illegal motion. That's you know that's a that's a that's a flag. <laughs> but it really limits what you can do in terms of getting a, a wide receiver released if you um, use your motion on a tight end. So it's a it's a real concession from the passing game to the run game to do what they did all those years with Picard and Boyle motioning into the middle of the line on a lot of these run plays. Yep. All right. A few, few things we'll talk about. And then I think we, we, we need to wrap this up here is um, uh, Andrews has now been gone for three weeks during that time. We've seen likely catch 14 of 19 balls for 193. He has completely fulfilled the the Andrews yeah. role, by the way. <laughs> so what I honestly, if 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 you told me that Andrews could have that kind of a kind of a a, a three week run, I'd take it in a heartbeat. It's over ten mm-hmm. yards per target. Uh, he's had great yak. He's he's just he's done it very well. So it hasn't really been a problem there. The wide receivers have been less effective. Uh, Beckham eighteen targets during that time for one forty five. He's the only one who's really done okay at eight point one yards per target. Still not a real high percentage success rate on that, but he's had some deep balls um, that he that he's gotten. Here's the disappointing one: Flowers in these three weeks, twenty targets with twelve catches for just ninety two yards. That's four point six yards per target. And unfortunately, that was something we thought we might see at the beginning of this, that Flowers was going to have to be used differently without Andrews around to be more of a short yardage type yep. receiver, a, a quick uh, a turn and hit receiver. Yep. When I look at those numbers, it would make you think, wow, he had no impact on the game, but he had a lot of impact, especially in the L.A. game. late. Yeah. The stats can be deceiving, but we do want to see him in that deep threat role because he can make those plays. We just, it's hard because of the loss of Andrews and not getting enough ample time and space to make those plays downfield. Yeah. Bateman, uh, he started off this game as a house of fire with three straight catches, but then, yep. he, then he didn't catch the last three balls. He's now seven of 15 in these three weeks for 84 yards. That's not good either at 5.6 yards per target. He still does not have a 30 yard reception this season, which has been a uh, an, an ongoing problem. So one other thing I want to mention is that the Ravens use six jumbo lines and three unbalanced. And if you look at when they use these, it was primarily when they were near the goal line, which is just one place where you certainly expect it, but also on that final drive. So they were mixing it up a little bit. And we saw that in one game earlier that they were really trying to burn out. It might have been the first Cincinnati game that they used a lot of alternating six-man lines, five-man unbalanced um, uh, to try and throw some different offensive looks. So while we've... You know, we've pegged Monken with being primarily a passing game specialist who wants to to generate space for the offense. He's also done a fairly good job at uh, working with various offensive line concepts to try and make the run game work as well. And I think it's that's it's one of the positive things we really need to not be remiss in in ignoring or taking for granted about what Monken's brought to this offense. Yes, and he's been very multiple in his approach as well. I think. Uh... One little new kink they added this week that was interesting was uh, jet motion with split zone run action. Um, th- pretty much it was a pony backfield. Well, not pony. You have Keaton Mitchell on the left and then tight end, tight end on the right side. Send Zay in motion going right. Send Isaiah going on a split, split zone action going left. And that created conflict for the linebackers on which way to go and then also adding in a pull with either guard or a tackle that continued to show different 
types of holes for the Ravens that we haven't seen this year. And I wonder if that will open up their base run game moving forward. Yeah, the Ravens have been remarkable over the last, well, in the entire Lamar era about they can run counter and they can pull two players in one direction. Well, you, you typically would put two players in one direction. Although, and once in this game, they actually pulled in opposite directions. That may be the play you're referring to. I couldn't identify every element of what you were saying. But McCarry pulled left, and they had uh, they had pullers to the right as well. Um, I think it was just the Isaiah Lightly action going that way that caused it to seem like they were flowing two different ways. I think they did have a puller going right, even though Lightly went left. Okay, there is there is a play where McCary uh, actually pulled left, and um, see if I can find it. I think it's going to be the 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 run rate for twenty four um, at in the at the beginning of the crossover drive into Q four. It's a P zero for McCary, and I, I remember him um, pulling left on that play. And they had two other pullers, the center, and it's got to be the play. The, the center and the right tackle who pulled to the right on the same play. So three pullers, wow. one left and two right. You will, you'll almost never see that. Take a look at the play. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty cool design. But the Ravens, they, they'll, they run directly at the vacated area a fair amount with their zone reads. It's just a matter of does, does Jackson think he has the end's number or, or the, 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 the end has made the wrong decision? If he has, he takes off right where the vacated left tackle and left guard have, have gone. Yeah, so, and we, uh, we've seen him give it a lot this year. Uh, the One of the good gives he had was in a drive four, quarter two. It was a center tackle counter read, but it was called back for um, holding on stand. Yeah. But that was a really good call. I think I like that action very well. Um, and then we already mentioned it on the fourth quarter drive where Lamar had the same counter read look, and he just pulled it, and I think – we can start burning people on that because the whole line collapsed. And mm-hmm. it was it was nice to see that. We'll talk about the offensive line a little bit in the second uh, episode, but uh, we're, we're already running significantly over. But, Frazier, just a lot of fun to talk football with you. I think this is a good show, and I really appreciate you. Tell, tell folks where they can talk football with you. You guys can find me at Twitter slash X at F underscore R-A-V-E-8. That's F underscore Rave 8. Of course, Frazier is also my co-host for the Matchup Show, which we do every week. Usually uh, comes out on Saturday to look forward to the game on Sunday. So that's a lot of fun. It's been, been a lot of fun. I think we'll, we'll uh, well, I'll ask Frazier if he'd like to continue that next year. But, uh, but we're having a lot of fun doing it anyway this year. Yep. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. I want to talk to you. If you see fit, please toss us a review out there. Nice. Five-star, 50-word review would do go a long way towards introducing this show to more people, which makes it possible for us to bring this uh, uh, content to you. And uh, I really appreciate uh, the, the loyalty of, of the fans and, and uh, listens are terrific this year, uh, really doing well. And, and I appreciate uh, all the time you guys spent. Um, if you go out to Spotify and you check how much you've been listening to podcasts and you want to send me a, um, a little picture of of how much you've listened to film study this year. We had the seventh percentile, meaning the 93rd percentile, sorry, had listened to it for some absurd number of hours, like about a hundred. And I want to, I want to hear from other people who've listened to over a hundred hours of film study. I'll be sure to call you out specifically on the show. Uh, and, and thank you. And, and by all, by all means uh, use the mailbag. We always want to hear from you in terms of your questions. Frazier, thanks again for coming on. Thank you. 
and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.